Welcome to Federal Insights on Application Services. Ramp up software delivery velocity. Sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. On Federal News Network, here's your host, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Yannick Klaus, DevOps Capability Lead, General Dynamics Information Technology, and Jay Olson, Director, Application Services, General Dynamics Information Technology. Well, gentlemen, in the commercial world, people will bounce out of a website and flash if it's slow and not available on a phone. We all know that. In fact, speed and availability of the phone is one of the 200 ranking factors from Google. So what does this mean for the federal experience is my question. So, Jay, tell me about GDIT's experience with this type of design. Sure. This is uh, becoming more and more of a focus for the majority of our federal customers, you know, the concept that we call customer and user experience. So to your point, that there's certainly a performance and availability uh, perspective uh, around that. There's also a usability uh, perspective, Um, you know, making sure that the user experience is consistent, that it is intuitive. Uh, you know, many of our uh, legacy federal customer environment applications, you know, tend to not necessarily have a focus on that uh, that type of experience, and, and, and our users are looking for consumer-like experiences uh, with our federal agencies. So that that uh, uh, enhanced focus on citizen services, uh, having a consistent message, a consistent use of terminology, um, and also a strategic sort of omni-channel approach. Uh, to your point, you might have a website you're accessing from a laptop. You might be accessing elements of that through a different type of form factor, like a mobile phone or an iPad. And we want to make sure that we're designing applications that we can design and build once and deploy anywhere. And you, you know, Jay, it's not a checkbox item. Yes, it's responsive. Next. No, responsive means keep on testing, keep on testing, and ask questions and changing. It's very difficult. It is. And uh, we're going to talk, I think, a little bit today about there's some enabling technologies that that we leverage. Uh, Many of them are cloud-centric that help us uh, build and deploy uh, in an iterative fashion, to your point, Uh, quick, getting features out fast to the user community. Um, In in many cases, orders of magnitude more quickly. We have a concept that we call cycle time or lead time that you might have heard of, the idea from uh, when a business requirement is defined to the point at which it's actually deployed via software into production and and available to be used by the user community or citizens. And and we're always looking to reduce that cycle time. I was watching you when you said the word iterative. I looked right at Yannick and he's like all perked up because this is kind of his uh, strike zone, isn't it? Yes, yes. So, of course, we want to uh, cut back down on the, on the on the time for the for the uh, for the for the development and uh, deployment of those uh, uh, solutions. So the um, the end customer, essentially the the, the U.S. citizen, is able to um, uh, use those services uh, more quickly. Um, and of course, DevOps uh, plays a big role in in, in, in that uh, equation because it enables uh, the ever faster uh, deployment of those features to the customers. Yeah, Agile has been around for quite some time. Many people are um, familiar with the Agile concept. Um, but what's missing um, is the essentially the, the time from when the uh, software development is done to the time when it is actually being available to the user. And that is also a very crucial part, and that's where um, uh, DevOps later can help. Um, you know, Jay, when I go to a, a federal website, it's very easy to use. I tend to think that, uh, oh, that was awfully easy. You go to the Olympics, and that guy swam back and forth. He was working out for eight hours a day for 10 years. And so there's a lot that goes on under the hood in order to make it easy to use, isn't it? That's absolutely right. And we, we have a you know concept uh, that, that we're uh, big proponents of and, and kind of an industry standard around human-centered design. And that idea of how does the, the human interact with, with the system and, and the technology, right, and ensuring that's done in sort of a natural, fluid way, 
Um, and, and again, I go back to, you know, most of us have, have those positive experiences with some of the uh, current generation of consumer interactions. Um, whether that be Amazon or, or, or Google or related, it should be easy, intuitive, and simple to use, and we're always striving for that. So, Yannick, I would imagine that you can use tools like heat maps and uh, look and see where people are going in the site, and then you can mm-hmm. use Teams to iterate and rapidly develop based on maybe put the, the click button in the wrong place, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, of course, um, the, the analytical side of um, your web application is very, very important, and uh, it can give you insights that you previously were not able to uh, obtain um, and the heat map is one of those uh, um, uh, tools that you can apply. Uh, you can focus your efforts on areas that are more important for users. Um, it also helps you to develop a risk profiles, um, for example, for um, the testing the application. Yeah, So in areas where users are more active, you want to make sure you have a higher level of service than maybe in other areas if you have to prioritize. Um, and heat maps, of course, um, are a very important tool in that uh, toolbox. Yes. When I think about uh, the front page of the newspaper, you pick up, there's an event somewhere, there's a hurricane, there's a storm. Well, that means that websites have to be able to be dynamic, respond to these changes and provide up-to-date information. And it's got to be easy to use because people are walking down the street to get to the phone. They want to go to FEMA, see what's going on. So that's the value of being responsive and having high user expectations here, huh? Absolutely. And, and there's so many, to your earlier point, about some of those uh, uh, elements that, that have to be considered upfront. In the design, everything from the different form factors that we talked about earlier, whether it's an iPad, whether it's an iPhone, um, responsive and adaptive design helps us do that and, and deal with those things. The different browser technologies uh, that are in play, um, you know, our federal customers, it is a constant challenge from a testing perspective, right, to ensure that the software that we're developing and the user experience is appropriate for that, that you know, huge disparate ecosystem of browser technologies as well. And Yannick, real quickly, this whole idea of testing, you don't wait to the end of the project to test, do you? You start from the beginning and iterate that test. Yes, there are, of course, are many uh, different types of testing that you have to do for the application, uh, be it functional testing, security testing, performance testing, uptime uh, testing. And the earlier you actually start integrating that into your uh, value stream of, uh, of, the, of your uh, d- d- product development, the, the earlier uh, you catch uh, potential problem areas. We're going to pause here for a short break. My guests today are Yannick Klaus, DevOps Capability Lead, General Dynamics Information Technology, and Jay Olson, Director of Application Services, General Dynamics Information Technology. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Application Services, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. General Dynamics Information Technology and CSRA are now one company offering next generation solutions across the government. We support the warfighter, the intelligence community, the research scientist, and our citizens. Partnering with our government customers, we're delivering advanced cloud, cybersecurity, managed services, and enterprise IT solutions to transform government today. With General Dynamics Information Technology, Next is here. Discover more at GDIT.com. Welcome back to the discussion, Application Services, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Yana Klaus, DevOps Capability Lead, General Dynamics Information Technology, and Jay Olson, Director of Application Services, General Dynamics Information Technology. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. When you think of DevOps, you think of application services, you think of rapid and quick development, right? So, Jay, is this what the result is of some of this flexible development, DevOps, rapid development of projects and websites? 
you know, that's absolutely one of our objectives, right? And we have customers these days that often have very short-term requirements. Uh, regulatory changes, for example, uh, can be imposed um, that, that they have to respond to in a, in a really flexible uh, rapid manner. Um, you know, I know last year we had a, a large uh, a federal customer that had had a, a, a surprising regulatory change and had to deal with unexpectedly. And we leveraged a full modern uh, cloud native solution from start to finish uh, and really enabled the type of velocity acceleration uh, that would have been unheard of four or five years ago. And so for this type of project, it might have taken us, I, I would argue, three to four months uh, at least uh, to do it in the, in the tra traditional legacy approach. And for this customer applying modern techniques, uh, we were able to turn that around in a much, much more rapid way. And Yannick is going to provide some details wow. about that. Incredible story. Tell the story. Yeah, so this this was for the uh, Federal Administration, um, Aviation Administration, mm -hmm. and um, we had to develop a, um, um, a software for one of those regulatory ch uh, changes that they had. We had a turnaround of only about six to seven weeks, um, and um, in that time frame, we designed, developed, and deployed the application many, many times. As a matter of fact, we had... In, all, in six weeks, we had over 250 builds. We had over 200, uh, 300 uh, deployments, uh, and uh, we met the requirements that the federal customer had uh, for, for, for us at that time. Um, it wasn't a small website either. Uh, one would think you know, this would be a small uh, backdoor project, but as a matter of fact, we had over uh, 300,000 registrations or use of the first initial use of the website in just the first two months. Um, speaking to user uh, friendliness, yeah, it took the user to go through the entire uh, process that the um, that FAA had um, imposed in only about two, 170 seconds. So it was very user friendly, very fast. You know, Jay, back 15 years ago, when those guys met in the mountain in Colorado and talked about agile software development, and they always projected that sometime in the future, large projects will be handled this way. And it's taken 10, 15 years to be able to use Teams effectively, special tools that can be used for Teams. But this is not Yannick sitting in a corner. This is a group of teams of different working complex systems it's it's a great story to tell that's right and, and and you hit on the key point there it's it's a combination of you know what we call agile scrum teams working together there's a people component there's clearly a process approach component, everything from agile techniques to human-centered design to modern testing, test automation, uh, cloud-native software development and architecture. It really requires, to your point, all of those things to come together to be able to deploy something that rapidly. I, I mentioned the people 15 years ago in the mountain who came up with these software concepts because back then there was something called a waterfall method, and you get in a white ball, and you, whiteboard and you graph out the processes. And all of a sudden, uh, what the Agile people said, no, 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 we're going to shift left. So no, no politics here. So what does shift left mean anyway? Yeah, so that's a that's a you know a modern term that we focus on. There's a couple of elements to that, right? It's the idea that when you sort of think about that traditional application development lifecycle, uh, from defining your business requirements through turning those into software requirements to software architecture, design, construction, testing, and then uh, deployment, uh, release, moving over to operations, right? We want to have certain things that we shift left in that continuum. Uh, one of the most obvious examples today with our federal customers is around security. Um, you, we have a continuous, constant focus on cybersecurity. And how do we make sure that from the uh, outset of a project, we're building that in uh, from day one, um, making sure that we have, have our uh, uh, user stories, as we call them, that are security focused right from the outset, um, that we're architecting the application uh, in a way that is secure. Um, and will be secure. And you also really have to think outside the box today about what potential vulnerabilities uh, could be introduced uh, you know, that we may not consider and try to think that way. 
uh, Yannick might have some details on yeah, our I, approach to that. I like to compare the uh, the shift left uh, to, to essentially a, a car that is uh, rushing towards a cliff, mm-hmm. and you have the choice of uh, providing a fence for the car to not <laughs> go over the cliff, or later provide the ambulance. Uh, <laughs> so best practice would be, <laughs> of course. Um, uh, so what you want to do is you want to prevent the car from going off yeah. in the first place. Of course, it's cheaper, um, and and the shift left is exactly that. Yeah, it, uh, the, the treating security vulnerabilities late in the cycle is more expensive. Um, uh, testing late is more expensive uh, just because of the uh, communication that is involved. And and so what you want is the reason why it's called shift left is because when you depict a value stream, you usually do it from left to right and you want to shift it to earlier stages in your value stream as early as you possibly can to do the testing, to do the security uh, scanning um, um, and uh, yeah, the the... Um, yeah, those two primarily. You know, Jay, when Yannick is talking about cars, I keep thinking <laughs> of the Indy 500. And the car rolls in there, they change the tires in the car, and it goes off in three seconds. I mean, that's what your teams are doing. Because right. this is a car that, you know, three seconds, is not, so everyone has to work in a in an orchestrated fashion. That's right. It's, a, it's such a great uh, metaphor for that, right? Because those pit crews, it looks easy yeah. when they're doing that, Boy, right? it sure does. But you know that a ton of preparation and design uh, and, 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 you know, elements, technology, and people focused for them to be successfully to, to perform that. So absolutely, very similar. So, Yannick, what role does automation play in this DevOps process and, and rapid development? Yeah, so if you think about um, when you uh, develop an application, you have several stages. Yeah, you have the requirements gathering, you have the development, you have the testing, uh, you have the deployment, you have the operations, you monitor your pipeline. Um, and manual work just takes time. Uh, if you have to do manual interaction, it requires a feedback loop that is slow. Yeah, and that's where the um, automation can help. Yeah, most uh, of our federal customers start with uh, testing automation, yeah, because that's usually the most labor-intensive uh, part uh, of, of of your pipeline. Um, but then also move uh, move on to security automation. Um, um, we we start seeing a compliance uh, automation, yeah, where you, the generation of the documentation for um, the uh, authority to operate um, is being generated automatically uh, um, in, your, in your pipeline. So so. The automation is a crucial part to get the, to those a few seconds when you change the tire, mm-hmm. uh, to so to speak. Uh, and and it, and, and the preparation that Jay mentioned before um, is that goes in uh, is what goes into automation. You have to you have to set up the tools, you have to set up the processes um, in order to be able to apply that uh, very efficiently. So Jay, I want to jump in real quickly with a real quick illustration of the car. And so there are federal agencies that must comply with regulations. It's like that car moving in. It's an active website. It's being used every day. You've got to get in. Comply with the regulation, get out because people are going to be using that site. So you got to be fast. Absolutely, and, you know. And part of that, uh, you know, other than the obvious uh, practice, practice, iteration, iteration, getting the team familiar with each other, understanding their strengths and, and weaknesses, and uh, we call it kind of self-forming and being able to adapt on the fly. Great. We're going to pause here for a short break. My guests today are Yannick Klaus, DevOps Capability Lead, General Dynamics Information Technology; Jay Olson, Director, Application Services. General Dynamics Information Technology. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Application Services, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. General Dynamics Information Technology and CSRA are now one company, offering next-generation solutions across the government. We support the warfighter, the intelligence community, the research scientist, and our citizens. Partnering with our government customers, we're delivering advanced cloud, cybersecurity, managed services, and enterprise IT solutions to transform government today. With General Dynamics Information Technology, Next is here. Discover more at GDIT.com. Welcome back to the discussion Application Services, 
sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Yannick Klaus, DevOps Capability Lead, General Dynamics Information Technology, and Jay Olson, Director Application Services, General Dynamics Information Technology. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. You know, there are people who are listening to this, and, and they'll argue that moving to the cloud is really a mental concept rather than a checklist and a bunch of code. And uh, some people will toss out a new phrase here. And, Jay, maybe you can expand on this phrase, being cloud native. What, is, what does that mean to you? Absolutely. So, you know, when we think of modern cloud platforms, right, there's a number of different uh, common you know, industry players in that space. Um, some of them have different strengths. Um, we want to make sure it's, it, it really is different. It's a paradigm shift for how we develop the software as opposed to, to monolithic applications in the way we used to. So there's a series of, of elements about that uh, that, that we want to uh, take into account uh, from an architectural design standpoint. Um, some of those terms that, that you might hear right around that are things like containers, um, a, a new way to uh, package, create an image, and deploy. Um, there's a concept called immutable infrastructure. Whoa, that'll impress somebody, won't it? Yeah. So it really is the idea. <laughs> we want to get away from uh, traditionally we would deploy applications on servers that had a certain technology stack. And we kind of want to get away from that and make sure that we can uh, very transparently deploy uh, much more easily uh, in a way that the software is not so directly tied and linked to the infrastructure. Um, so that's that's one of the concepts and things like containers. Uh, and you might have also heard the term microservices, mm-hmm. um, you know, are, are enabling architectural elements that help us do that. Um, so, Yannick, if you were on LinkedIn and you saw Joe Smith and under his headline, he said cloud native. What would that mean to you? And what does it mean to my listeners here? Yeah, so cloud, cloud native um, is, 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 um, uh, is a completely different way of uh, developing applications. Um, you have the ability of uh, um, uh, quickly iterating through your application cycle much faster than you have uh, um, with uh, on-premise data centers. Um, you have a lot of flexibility in terms of um, the way uh, you can scale your application you, uh, since cloud provides you know elasticity and uh, recovery. Um, and, and so you don't have to generally take care of those things yourself anymore. Those are being provided by the cloud provider. Um, and But cloud native uh, also requires uh, the developer to, to shift their knowledge a little bit in order to understand and take advantage of the technologies that are available um, in the cloud. You know, Jay, a lot of people use a, a fancy term trying to impress you, and, and they'll talk about containers and libraries and everything else. But I think the bottom line is here, I don't care if it's a container or a library or a microservice, you got to get that. You got to comply with the regulation by next Wednesday, or else. And so I think I think the terminology is fine, but really the the uh, the end result is really what's important to the GDIT because it's important to our listeners. Absolutely, and and these are just elements that help us, uh, as, as Yannick mentioned, really take advantage of the full capabilities of of, of the cloud infrastructure um, and, and the almost you know unlimited elasticity and scalability that that can provide us. And all of those technologies really boil down to to again I mentioned separating the the, the software from traditional hardware as one element of it, um, you know, the ability to keep and isolate various software components so they perform one business function and perform it in a very focused way and reduces the dependencies that might have existed uh, in other elements of the application. And, and traditionally, when we get those heavy dependencies around our software code, we, you know, th- that, um, that slows down the pace of change and, and, and results in what we call a buildup of technical debt 
which we're all, always looking to help our customers reduce. You know, Yannick, we were talking about cars earlier, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about taking my car to the same mechanic or a good mechanic. I don't want to be locked into any one mechanic. And I think with a cloud transition for our listeners, they don't want to be locked into one of the usual suspects here. And so you have to be able to provide them options and be able to flex and move that fits their specific needs. Yeah, of course, uh, um, every cloud uh, provider has, of course, their strengths and weaknesses, and you have to uh, look into what are the specific uh, requirements that your customer or that the federal agency requires in order to find the right cloud provider. Um, of course, the level of abstraction that you provide um, for, with your application can help. Yeah? Um, in general, you have uh, to go to the lowest common denominator between the clouds in order to provide multi-cloud functionality if you chose to go that route. Um, but uh, you, uh, yeah, if you, for example, uh, increase the level of abstraction uh, to deploy, for example, on um, yeah, on Kubernetes. Uh, um, this way, you, you, you're independent of the specific cloud because, the, like I said, the level of abstraction that is being provided is much, much higher. You know, well, we're about three miles from Georgetown University, and I'm sure there's a classroom there, and they talk about compute and store, and Yannick would take the test and get an A in the test. But it's, it's not compute and store. It's, 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 it's arts and sciences. I mean, you have to understand these concepts, but how does it apply to a federal agency? It may be completely different for the agency across the street. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the common things all of our, our customers face at this point in time with this, um, we've reached sort of an inflection point where everybody's going to the cloud uh, in some way. Um, some are in a piloting mode. Some have gone all in. Um, but the reality is the environments they're in, to your point about multi-cloud, is, is an element where they have to deal with different cloud providers and, and, and maybe different technical challenges there. Um, it's also really a hybrid environment. Almost all of our customers still have significant investments in on-premise uh, data center uh, solutions, and that's not going to change in the near term. So again, back to that concept of, of building once and deploy anywhere, we want to ensure that these are enabling technologies that, w- that we leverage to enable them to do that more rapidly. Plus, I want to go back to the classroom. I'm sure you were an A student, but I'm sure they tossed out a term called dependencies. Well, you have this system has certain dependencies. If you move to a hybrid environment, all of a sudden, it it multiplies the complexity and it could impact the delivery if you don't understand that thoroughly. Oh, that is correct. Yeah. So, one of the microservices uh, anti-pattern is, for example, that you um, that you have a high dependency on uh, each of the uh, microservices, which usually encapsulate a specific functional area. Um, what you want to do as part of your agricultural um, uh, architectural uh, roadmap or a runway is to uh, reduce the dependency between the different functional areas. Anyway, yeah, so the, um, in doing so, you also uh, pro- provide yourself the uh, capability to deploy it multi-cloud because you have reduced those uh, dependencies. Uh, we would not advise anybody who has high dependencies uh, on each other to uh, split those up and deploy those in separate cloud environments. Um, and of course, enabling technologies, again, uh, microservices that help uh, because they cut back down on the scope of each uh, functional area, uh, containers to package them up and uh, deploy them efficiently in the cloud. Um, those all have to, are related to each other. And, uh, yeah, have to be. Real quick, Jay, I don't want to call you a lawyer or anything, but it could be a situation where what's the best hybrid cloud, this service provider, that service provider? It depends. There's a lawyer answer. It all depends. It does depend. And and that's one, for example, about the microservices discussion, which really is, in its simplest form, a more granular level of services, as Yannick mentioned, typically tied to a specific business function. One of the things that microservices also provide around your point about flexibility is uh, their polyglot is the term that we use, but it really enables the software developers to use the most appropriate language 
uh, for that particular business problem. And microservices provide the ability to be polyglot. I'd like to thank today's guests, Yannick Klaus, DevOps Capability Lead, General Dynamics Information Technology, Jay Olson, Director, Application Services, General Dynamics Information Technology. I'm John Gilroy on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Application Services. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights on Application Services, Ramp Up Software Delivery Velocity, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. The program is available on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. Search GDIT.